0: This is the Horse Radio Network. This is
1: episode 125 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network.
2: This is Reese Coppler-Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky.
1: And this is Philip Parks from Fergus, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show
2: you are our producer today
1: yeah again i think people are getting a little <laughs> bit used to uh used to the problems at least our guests are getting used to the problems what happened when uh, that happened when i'm the producer but
2: uh <laughs> it's okay I we're doing do all right we're doing fine, and I have to be honest, guys, we're um, we're recording early because we're going to the regional finals, and it is feeding time in my barn, and my office is right next to the stalls, so I apologize in advance if you hear a bunch of kicking horses because that's feeding time here at our barn, but um, yeah, we've had a really busy day, Philip. We're um, getting ready. We leave for the regional finals tomorrow, and we're taking five horses, and uh, I'm really, really looking forward to it. think everyone is um doing great and we're really looking should be a good show
1: there's a lot of listeners this week all pumped up and ready and they want (laughs) to know all the tips for showing really well and and how to go to regionals and kick 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 Chris's butt and
2: (laughs) that's fine hey if it's a listener I'm 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 taking one for the team Uh no but I think we're really prepared I, I feel really good about how every horse is doing you know what's going on I feel like we had a good sort of fall um we had a good spring, and then I usually take uh, July and a bunch of August off because it 's so hot here uh, i don 't usually show those months and then we had a show at the end of August, and then we just we had two weeks and then a show at the horse park and then a week off and then now we 're going to Chicago and then uh, everyone 's going to get a break after that but um, that was everyone 's good. The last horse show went well and and we actually made a couple adjustments and um, went over a few things and so I really, really feel like everyone sort of knows what they're doing, and and hopefully it'll be a fun time. I'm I'm looking forward to it.
1: Well, good luck to the Maplecrest Farm crew. Thank I, you, I love guys. I, I know you're going to do well, and uh, I mean I can't wait to hear. And
2: uh, <laughs> we'll have a full report.
1: A full report from regionals and getting ready for nationals, which is next door, Lucky Devil. Yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly so i know right we that we, this is the actually the first show besides florida that we've traveled to um which poses as we all know interesting packing challenges um but also uh we don't i'm looking forward to it because we don't typically show out of lexington which is it is wonderful but you know you do kind of miss um you know going out to dinner and and kind of being as a group
1: and yeah, you, spend you know some well, time as a team yeah, right when you go away exactly you go you go away together and um, I mean, you certainly get that atmosphere when you guys go to Florida because I've been there. I've visited right. you guys. And, you know, that's kind of fun. And, uh, you know, when you're at home, well, I mean, everybody goes home. Everybody sleeps yeah. in their own bed. There's just a little less <laughs> yeah. just a little less of the uh, camaraderie thing. So I think it's exactly. good, for you, good for you to get out of your, you know, yes, out of your we comfort will, zone. Yes, we will somewhere.
2: post a a stall gating picture. I'm sure we'll, we we'll yeah. let everybody see, uh, all the ladies are working on the stall gating. So instead of tailgating, we'll stall gate. So that'll be really fun. <laughs> be a little
1: dangerous actually. <laughs> uh,
2: I know, right? <laughs> be, come, but come if you're at the regionals, come see us for sure. So Philip, you posted something very interesting on your Facebook page. And for all the ladies and gentlemen out there, uh, we like to have the Philip and Meredith wedding update. So, <laughs> Well, we're you getting posted? down to it
1: now. I guess we're about six weeks away. So Are you getting
2: nervous, Philip?
1: I'm not nervous, no.
0: <laughs> this, this
1: doesn't make me nervous. It's going to be good. Um, no, I just posted <laughs> that we're having our stag and dough this weekend. And, um, you know, some of these things don't occur to me. How it, I think it's a bit of a, a regional, a stag and dough is a regional, uh, small town Ontario thing, as far as I can tell. I don't know, you know, where it stemmed from or what culture it's from, but... Um, you know when Reese you know sends back a message like oh what what the heck is that I'm like oh yeah like not everybody I mean not everybody gets it so um, it's it's kind of a cool thing um, it's kind of my favorite part well I mean the wedding is fun but the staying though is really fun it's not a bachelor bachelorette thing it's what what happens is the the your wedding party hosts a party for the bride and groom and so we you know there's a hall rented. And so I think I think this is a little bit because not everybody gets invited to the wedding, you know, you know, we have to keep costs down and so, you know, we're having just under 100 guests and you know, there's a ton of people we would love to invite, but it just it gets overwhelming, right? So what happens is you have this stag and dough. and basically it's 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 also a party. It's a, you know, people have it a month or 2 months prior to the wedding and uh, you know, we have a DJ and there's food and there's dancing there's party games there's there's a lot of games and um basically what it is is uh it's a party but it's also a fundraiser for the the bride and groom so it helps raise a little bit bit of money going towards the the wedding uh, the wedding costs which are astronomical i don't need to tell yeah. everybody that but it's, inc- it's yeah
2: we it's all anybody's got married it's ridiculous it yes. is crazy
1: so this helps out with it so you know there's a lot of huh. you know there's a there's a, do- a, a door charge i guess and then you make a little bit of money on the the sale of, you know, beer and wine, and and in the end, uh, you, it's kind of like you get to have an extra party with all your friends and your family come, and and pretty much everybody you know gets to come to this thing, and and when you're in a small town, even people you don't really know come to it. <laughs> like they just, it's like crashing. the entertainment. There's a, there's so in Elmira, kind of where I'm from, there's only one bar, and there's a, you know, there's not a ton of people, and so. Even if you don't know the bride and groom, you just show up for the fundraiser, and it's fun. No it's kidding. really, really, really fun. Yeah, and we have raffles and you have um, prize draws and, like I said, games and stuff. So, yeah, for anybody who doesn't has never been <laughs> to one, you can come to mine. It's this weekend.
3: <laughs> I would
2: love. I want. I'm so, We are very excited to come to the wedding, but I really wanted to it's come like to this pre Yeah, it's
1: like the pre-party. Yeah. yeah. The wedding. Well, how the wedding. fun it's, is that? Well, yeah. I am
2: glad you explained it to us on the air because I really didn't know what it was and I'm I'm like, What what is that? Is that a? I thought you were going on your bachelor party is what I thought it was. Oh, well that's we Meredith have that. was So going... There's
1: another party to do with the bachelor party. And oh, then, how
2: uh, fun is this? Oh, I feel like this, I missed that. Yeah,
1: like um, we're not like Meredith is not having a shower because she we much prefer the the stag and dough than you know having a shower so ah. yeah i mean it's a chance for like you don't bring a gift or anything you just show up and you. does
2: everybody have a stag and dough or is it is it just it, not everybody
1: i pretty much everybody i know except for people who are from like the big city of toronto or that don't okay. have it and i don't know culturally how it works um, with huh. different things but i know like um pretty much everybody i know has had a stag and dough and it's just it's an cool. excuse to have a have a party. Another
2: party. Yeah. Well, I love it. Well, that is so exciting. Thank you for explaining that to us well, on air.
1: It's non, a non-horsey thing we can bring to the <laughs> dressage.
2: I know so. we can dressage radio show. Well, it's the Philip. We're going to do a weekly Philip update on the wedding because we all have been there, and it's such a wonderful time. But it is also stressful, and it's also stressful to have horses during this time. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely, well, we
1: still got a ride. Still got a, yeah. I mean, uh, still, <laughs> yeah. Uh, still have lessons to do on Sunday. So we'll see how that goes.
2: Oh, ooh! <laughs> hopefully, they'll take pity and then they'll bring you some no, coffee or yeah, something.
3: Good.
2: That's gonna. Kind of, hopefully, it's not early in the morning for your teaching your lessons. But um, after this commercial break from our sponsor, uh, we have a great show today. We have Hillary Moore Hebert, the senior editor from Dressage Today, is back for her segment. So after this um, commercial break, we will go to Hillary, and she's got lots of great tips for us this week.
3: Judy, I've been hearing a lot of good reports about this new TheraWool product line that you ad- introduced earlier this year. Tell us what's going on there. It's basically opened a whole new uh, customer base for us, and it's made the product affordable for people maybe who either didn't want to use sheepskin because it does require a little bit more maintenance, the sheepskin does, than the wool, or people that just couldn't make that stretch. So it's, it's been great. It's, you know, it's really, really durable, as the tagline says is great for daily use, beautiful enough for show. And I think that really explains it all in a nutshell because it is a lovely pad to look at and feel, and yes. but yet it's still an affordable pad that you can go to. You can literally go to the Olympics in this saddle pad. Yes. We worked really hard to make sure that we developed the right density and the right length, and so it took us about a year to get everything exactly right and to make sure that when you washed it, it didn't felt up or, or turn real hard or ball up. And it, it's a proprietary blend of product, the way we've done this to make it work. Quality saddle pads from Fleece Works. So, folks, when you go to your local tax store ask for fleeceworks wool pads by name and if your local tax store doesn't have them tell them that they need to speak with judy at fleeceworks just go to fleeceworks.com and you'll find all of our contact information there and thanks for stopping by again judy and keeping us up to date on what's going on over there
2: Hillary Moore Hebert from Dressage Today. She is the senior editor, and she's here to do her monthly column, as we like to say, on Dressage Today and what's coming on in the magazine. Hillary, thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks. We always love when you come on. It's our favorite segment of the month. I'm not going to lie.
4: Oh, thank you.
2: <laughs> so, so, Hillary, tell us. Let's just get to it. What are, What is going on in this month's Dressage Today magazine?
4: Okay. So um, we're talking about September, and we covered some tips last episode just with uh, scheduling things, but I have pulled out four more tips for you guys um, from the magazine, Uh, and the first is from our tried-and-true clinic critiquer, Suzanne Bondis, who I just love to death, and she often, um, in, in addition to critiquing the riders, will offer great tips for everyone, um, and this month, she had a really neat one, and it explains in a how-to why it's important to ride with your thumbs up as opposed to um, turning your hands inward, more like um, you know some other disciplines sometimes do. And what she has everyone do, and you guys can do that um, as I'm describing it, is if you take your hands and start in riding position with your thumbs up. If you start to rotate your hands so your thumbs point towards each other, you may notice that your elbows start to go out and you start to round your shoulders and upper body a little bit. And she explains, um, she has a very diverse background in uh, biomechanics and she explains that our bodies use movement patterns in sort of a, a domino effect to activate chain reactions and that the human body has two very commonly known patterns, and that's either stretching up or crouching down. And so what she says is that if you start one piece of that chain reaction from a crouching pattern or stretching up, you trigger the rest. And when you do that with your hands, where you rotate your thumbs inward towards each other, then you start to trigger the crouching down pattern, and that's why the rest of your body follows suit. So if you ride with your thumbs turned in, you'll be more likely to be incorrectly crouched. If you have them pointing up, you're triggering the chain reaction to be stretching up correctly. And I thought that was a really neat thing um, that no one had ever explained in um, such a clear way before. Yeah. yeah, that's great.
2: I was just doing it myself. I don't know. <laughs> Philip, did you try? Yeah,
1: of course. It's,
2: it's very true, actually. That's a great way. That is a super tip. I'm going to remember that because I even find myself doing that like I'm driving in the car <laughs> and I'm not paying attention or I'm watching TV. And we all know that muscle patterns are important when it comes to riding. So just to sit up and put your thumbs up, that's a great that's a great tip for just even posture in general. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I've never heard it explained in, in that way before, but uh, obviously that's exactly what happens. I think, you know, the thumbs being up or down in itself is not necessarily as important as, you know, getting your elbow in and, and stretching your shoulders up. So, you know, all these things, I mean, with your body, I mean, they're not independent of each other, are they? I mean, everything's all connected. And as soon as, yeah, I just did it right now. I mean, as soon as you turn your, your thumb over... Everything else goes in a little bit in a, in a worse way. And then, you know, I think, it, like you said, it just chain reacts through your entire, at least your upper body, to, uh, to make it not what you want. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, you see this every day when you're teaching, um, you know, riders with their, with their elbows turned out, you know, the thumbs down, elbows out. Those things all go together. But uh, it's great for riders to realize that this is why, you know, you have to, you have to keep the thumb up because i mean you know it it locks your hand in the wrong way to put it down so that's cool
4: yeah Love it. i think um you know it's really neat and you guys know if you're frequent listeners and um the two of you guys know that i think um above all other columns i think um if you really like this kind of how to explanation for things that are pretty um common but you want to know what the newer science behind it um you know her column i think is really good to check out because she explains this type of thing for a lot of different types of um aspects of riding in every month's issue so it's really great if you like this kind of thing love it so how about tip number two okay so um ray lacroix has a great tip for students and teachers alike. And he says to provide context and clarity in your lessons, uh, assign numerical values to the strength of you or your student, um, aids, and just generally anything that you might do in a lesson. So here would be an example is if you have a rider that has asymmetrical contact, just keeping with the theme of what we've been talking about so far today, assign a number between one in ten of how much the contact feels like in each hand and so the rider who thinks they're symmetrical when they're not will say maybe that they have a two in each hand and so the best way to explain to them the asymmetry is to say to them with the weaker hand can you make it a five and then when they feel a five and a two then what they'll feel is asymmetrical but it will be truly symmetrical and So then you can say at that point, okay, this is actually symmetry and start to understand, you know, how what you can feel might be different from the reality of things. And I think that that applies to really almost everything that I can think of in terms of the aids or um, your position or whatever when you're riding in a lesson. And I thought it was a neat idea of, you know, give a quantity to what you're talking about so that you can, you know, use that as a baseline.
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting take on it, actually, because, you know, I think the biggest, one of the biggest discussions we have as trainers is how do you teach feel? Because what I feel and what Philip feels and what Hillary feels, what we all feel is different. So to be able to sort of assign a way to describe at least a piece of it is that's a really interesting way to think about it. What do you think, Philip? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I kind of got this, um, you know, when we started learning a little bit from Scott Hassler because he uses a little bit new, that numerical thing um, for a lot of aspects of the writing, and and um, so I tried to take that from his teaching, and uh, this is a little bit of a different take, but I mean, you, you talk about you know using a dial, right, and and when you're teaching someone, it's helpful to say. You know, um, maybe for energy or for uh, lengthening or something, to say, okay, I'd like you to, you know, kind of dial it up to, to um, seven. Or if you really want the horse to go, kind of go to ten, right? And I think that's a little bit the same thing. You know, trying to use numbers to describe, you know, what exactly you want. So I think this is another thing, right along with that, to say, you know, how heavy is the horse? Well, you don't have to say two pounds, four pounds. You just have to kind of assign a scale and then uh, and then go from there and i think that helps the rider to understand and uh, and to just um, make the communication between coach and rider better and i think any kind of tip that can help with that is a great one so this is this is nice because we don't always you know you don't get a lot of tips on how to teach right and and uh, for us as trainers i mean we teach from you know the examples that we've had in our lives and from the coaches that we've had that we don't you know, we don't go to school for it, right? So, you know, the more things that can, that can you know, bringing a little better education to coaches, I think it's great.
4: And I think, um, you know, it's interesting that you said that because it reminds me of an article we did last year with Shawna Harding because she does the same thing training horses where she thinks about riding the horses um for a six when she first is training them and then she increases it to a seven and then she has a a time when they're ready for it to ride for a 10, you know, when they're competent and strong enough. And I think that it's interesting because it seems like if you take Ray's concept, Scott's concept and Shauna's concept, you can really think about how you can use that, you know, scale of things from one to 10 and how you can, explain to people, you know, for example, in the trot lengthening, you you right now are riding for a nine and your horse is only strong enough to handle a seven. You can't push that much because you're actually, you know, going beyond his strength. And as a result, you will earn a five in the sh- in the show ring. And I think, you know, it's really neat to think about those things because I think it's much more... Um, understandable to people than just saying oh right now you're pushing too hard or that is good or that is not good you know
2: no absolutely I think that's a really good way to do it I mean I and I love the idea of the dial and I love the way of you can't always ride for the 10 I mean I think you, we all strive to ride for the 10 but there's some times where your horses are tired or, or whatever coming right after a horse show or even leading up to a horse show that you have to be able to like Shauna was saying, maybe ride for the six one day and, and be okay with six, and then the next day you go for seven. Um, so I think that's those are all really, really interesting ideas. Well,
4: mm-hmm.
2: oh, great, I love that one. Hillary, what's our next one?
4: Okay, so then on the other side, I think that this is a nice um, transition into this, uh, our transitions column that we have um we had a submission from Amy Tolnish and I think it's a great piece of advice because I think um we get into sort of the serious training and thinking about how this is a sport and um amateurs compete against professionals and so everyone gets really intense and she had a great piece of advice for an- anxious riders not just people who are nervous but also I think people who have uncertainty And she says, give yourself a break, and that for the majority of this um, sport, most people do this as a hobby, not a job, and we have to remember that hobbies are fun. And she makes a really good point. She says that, um, you know, say you're afraid of cantering, does being able to canter um, really make you a better person or a better rider? And her answer is absolutely not. And I think that that's really worthwhile to think about because I think we can get very focused on goal setting, which I think in its place is good to do, but you can kind of get so intense in type A that you forget about the fact that what you're doing isn't um, having fun and making sure that where you're setting your goals has to go in that direction. It doesn't necessarily have to be constantly about, you know, progressing and winning and achieving all the time.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's just great advice. I think for all of us, you know, I think I mean, it is all of our jobs in one capacity, you know, to do that. So, you know, it, it, it is different when you talk to a professional rider, you know, we're always um, you on some level on display or always teaching and always learning and that type of thing. But it, it is true. I mean, I have my own horse that there's some days I'm just taking him on a hack because that's what I want to do, and uh, you know what I mean. And and he's great and he's doing super and and so, it is what it you know. And in, in that case, but it is true. And and just because you have a bad ride, it's hard, uh, especially. It isn't it, when you're a trainer, you at least have maybe five or six more. So at some point, your law of averages someone's probably going to be good that day. But if you,
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Someone's like, going to be good that somebody's day. Somebody's going to have a
2: good day. Please, somebody be good. But, you know, there are times when I've been away training and maybe I only have one or two horses and it's really, you have a bad ride and your whole day just, you know, it's really hard versus when you're, um, you know, when I'm home and I have all my horses you know, I, I had a bad ride on that horse. I maybe think about it for a few minutes and then I move on. But when you don't have that, that type of volume, it is hard to do that. So it's just something that I, I, you know, sometimes have to really watch my balance when I'm away and don't have all the horses that I ride now. Philip, how well, about you? I think, oh, Hillary, go ahead.
4: Oh, I was just going to say, I think too, that if you do enjoy showing that puts a lot more pressure on, you know, people say, Oh, the reason that, um, professionals have sometimes an easier time at the shows is because it's just another day at the office. But I, I think it's more than that. I think it's not only that it, there are so many shows that it is just another show, but also when you are riding three or four horses at, whether it's a show or at home, and you mess up, um, you know, a line of Uh, your leg yield, then it doesn't matter. You can sort of say, you know, whatever, I'll go and I'll do it on three other horses and I'll have confidence there. I think it's hard sometimes when you are riding just the one horse. I really um, applaud people for having one horse and and continuing on when you do have hard times like that because it does mess with your confidence sometimes because, you know, it's your one shot. And I think you just need to keep on keeping on and you realize you work through it um but uh yeah i totally agree i think you know it can really hit you when that's your one chance to get it right
1: yeah i mean for me i mean i i have to constantly be taking a step back and especially when i'm teaching or you know a lot of times when i'm riding my my own horse and or you know one of the horses that i'm riding is and things don't go super well i can shake it off easily more easily myself than I can when a lesson doesn't go right because I just you know I get so kind of motivated into doing something and getting something right that it becomes you know very intense and uh, and you know so and I think at this point like a lot of my students know know me and know you know not to take it personally but sometimes halfway through I just need to take a break and say okay step back for you know step out of step out of yourself for a moment and just you know. Take the perspective of the rider who 's in the lesson at the moment that they 're doing it for fun, like for me it's it 's fun to teach and it 's fun to ride and it 's fun to learn and it 's fun to show, but it is you know my passion and uh, and sometimes that passion comes out um, pretty strongly so um, it 's good for everyone just to say you know let 's let 's just take a break or you know uh, let's let 's go at this next week or you know let 's let 's have an easier week or or whatever, just so that doesn 't the whole thing doesn 't get snowballed into you know when especially when there is a problem to just uh that you know the timeline can be as short and as long as you want to fix the issue right and uh sometimes Mm -hmm. longer is better so um this is a very good tip and and just to say yeah just to say horses isn't everything and um there's a lot more goals in your life you can you can work on and achieve so Mm -hmm. good tip
4: I could not have planned this transition any better because Louise Robson talks about um, the red zone, which is exactly what you were just talking about, where it's a moment in your horse's training where he is overwhelmed, scared, or confused, and he needs to take a break.
2: Yeah. I think we've all hit this.
4: So she... um, she explains this and says um, that uh, if you hit the red zone, that your horse is overwhelmed, scared, or confused, that her tip is to do a walk break, do a stretchy trot, or ride a forward canter just based on how your horse would best react. So if he tends to kind of, you know, run around and does really well with a walk break, then go ahead and do that. If he would just you know, get distracted, and that wouldn't help and focus on maybe a more forward date. Um, But I thought that that was really interesting. And um, I thought what was most interesting is that I'm wrapping up a training article with Jan Brink for our November issue. And he references the same kind of thing, but he calls it the panic zone. And um, he has the same kind of concept where you want to make sure that you're always pushing your horse to stretch in his training but never putting him in a panic zone because then he won't truly learn, he loses relaxation, and he won't progress in his work. So I thought it was interesting that there's this common concept that I think a lot of us obviously use because we don't push our horse past the point of comfort. Um, but I thought it was really interesting and wanted to hear your thoughts Um, because we don't really have a common term for it.
2: No, we don't, and and I think either panic zone or red zone, I think we all kind of have been there where you're like, oh, I just maybe did something that was too much for this horse that day um, for whatever reason, and you need to take a step back. I, I will never forget when I was in Germany. I, I learned this. Um, it was it was one afternoon. It was kind of late, and um, there was a girl that would come and ride one horse, and it was a Grand Prix horse, and the horse was incredibly talented. Well, that horse, though, you could see he'd either push her to the – to that red zone or the panic zone or he, you know, it it was hard to know who was there. It was the rider that was just getting frustrated or if the horse was just getting stressed. Well, I saw her just get off one day. She got off. She sat down on the bench. She held the horse and she just took five minutes. And I really, I, I really watched that. And I remember that day and remembered like, you know, that's something to always remember. We've always, we can all get to that point And that's the point you do. You either need to take a walk, break, extend a canter, whatever you need to do. Or the, in this case, girl's case, she got off for a few minutes and just took a deep breath. Whatever she, you know, she just sat there, just didn't do anything. And I thought, okay, that's something to always remember. So hopefully it doesn't get to that point that you need to get off. But um you know, and and then I think it's always good and important when you hit that red zone or panic zone that you need to go back and think about it. I mean, that's the time to really go back and say, okay, what did I do here? And does that make sense? Just kind of reevaluate it and say, okay, you know, maybe that uh, Piaf and Passage transition, maybe that was too much for today, or maybe my horse isn't strong enough and I need to work on strength. I think that's the time that you need to, to step back and and think because you are the riders, the thinking being really, and you need to step back and say, okay, let's not get into this zone again. Um, and, and what are some things that I could do differently? So that's what I do when I get into that place and and certainly we all do we never want to push our horses too hard but sometimes you hit that when you're not ready to hit it or you hit it by accident or however so those are some of my experiences i personally just try to go to walk regroup and rally and then um and then go back and do what i was doing or or maybe reevaluate at that point philip how about yourself
1: well, I mean, uh like you said, we really never kind of intentionally go there, but uh sometimes it happens in the training and and whatever and whenever whenever the horse is scared or you, I mean, you can't um you can't feed into that, right? Like you said, like we're the ones with the brain, they have the walnut brain. So it's not it's not really their fault when they go there. And whenever, you know, if it happens, then what I do is just little stretch trot or walk and then the session is done i won't even go back to training whatever it was i you know that's where i said like you can extend the timeline a little bit of you know if you're trying to train pf or passage you know this is where it happens the most when we're collecting the horse because you're you're putting the horse in a smaller box adding the energy putting all this stuff together and and in my experience that's that's when it happens right not normally a first level horse or training level horse really gets into this panic situation um, so then the session is done for the day and just, you know, I'll come back at it tomorrow and, and, and figure out a different way to do it because I think the horses have to enjoy their work and definitely if they're, if that's, if that's a situation, that's not a good place to go and you don't want to reinforce that. Um, you know, so yeah, use, use your brain and, and train and train well and train correctly, correctly and train for the horse's happiness for no. sure. So yeah, stay out of the panic zone.
4: Well, I think it's interesting, as you guys were talking about that, because um, we have very bad traffic in the D.C. area in case um, you uh, have never had the privilege of visiting the area, but (laughs) it's horrible. So it's very common for people to come out of work or just traveling between places where they have been sitting in really horrendous traffic. And their job is stressful, and they get out to the barn and they're running a little bit late, and they want to get home in time so that it isn't an 18 hour day. Um, and I think that the best riders really have a knack for figuring out how to spend a little bit more time when they get to the barn to relax and unwind so that they aren't in their own red zone when they get right on the horse. And I thought, um, Reese, your point of. Taking some time to get off is that same sort of idea. You know, just whether it's just taking a deep breath, currying your horse for a little bit longer, doing a longer warm up walk, um, just so you can get in the correct zone before you even start. So you aren't like, okay, we're going to, I'm going to pick my horse up, I'm going to run through the test, it's going to be perfect, and we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And kind of having this agenda within this time frame, I think you can push. Too much, and I think the idea of staying relaxed, staying focused, and pushing yourself in a healthy way, but you know, like fill um, up what you were saying with Scott, like making sure that you dial it back a little bit if you need to. Um, I think are all really good tips in terms of thinking about how to handle the the mental side of the ride.
2: Absolutely. Great tips. Well,
4: Hillary, as always, we
2: love when you come on the show. How do our listeners find you on the Internet?
4: Um, you can check us out at dressagetoday.com, and you can um, both subscribe to the print and digital edition there. And then don't forget to check us out on social media. We have Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, and the one thing that I did want to mention that's extra cool is we're covering Dressage at Devin um, with a big social media program that Purina is helping us with, and um, if you go on our social media sites, we have a lot of cool photos and exclusive coverage of stuff, and we have some videos, and the um, newest one that's going to be coming up soon is of Boyd and Silva Martin talking about how they're preparing for the show, so um, check that stuff out.
2: Excellent. Well, we can't wait for next month.
4: Okay. I will talk to you guys soon.
0: Glenn the Geek here. The life of horse Person is hard enough, and we all hate doing the required paperwork, and unfortunately, many of us never get around to it, and it just piles up on our desk. That is about to change thanks to the EquiSketch Records app for your iPhone or iPad. My wife and I use it to track our horses, and we absolutely love this thing. EquaSketch Records is the most thorough and complete equestrian records app on the market today. We love this app because you can track your farrier work, your dental, your Coggins, medicines, worming, and so much more. And you can get reminders on your device when all of these things are due. You'll never forget a worming or shots or farrier visit again. But it not only tracks your horse, you can also manage your horse shows, including individual events. You can manage riders, including lessons and memberships and so much more. And you can sync it between your iPhone and your iPad and all of this for the price of a couple of cups of coffee from Starbucks. Search for EquiSketch Records in the iOS app store or go to EquiSketch.com. That's E-Q-U-I-S-K-E-T-C-H.com. EquiSketch.com.
2: Well, as always, Hillary does such a fabulous job, um, and, and it's really one of my favorite segments to segment. you, Everyone, yeah, we yeah talk I about love all it. All kinds of different things. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh,
1: it's like a condensed version of five shows all in one, right? We get I know, like, five, I love Four or it. five tips, so it's. That's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's great.
2: It's fun. And then I, I go and then I just got my magazine so I yesterday. So I like to talk to Hillary and then I like to go to the magazine so and, and kind of re-look re at everything. So love her. So thank you for coming on. We have Kathy Priest from Woodspring Farm talking about um, the mare. She was reserve champion in the developing Grand Prix at the Marquel Young Horse Finals. So uh, she's got lots of great tips on how we get ready for uh, several different big shows in a season. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce Kathy Priest from Woodspring Farm in Versailles, Kentucky. Kathy, thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you. Happy to do it. We're really excited. Well, um, you are my neighbor and friend, and I was so excited to hear how well you did with the mare that I just adore, Wild Dancer. You were second and reserve champion overall at the developing Grand Prix at the Markel Young Horse Finals,
4: Correct. Right. That's right. And she actually was second in the I-2 and she won the developing Grand Prix, but then was reserve champion overall.
2: Wow. Well, I just love this mare. So can tell us a little bit about her, Kathy.
4: Okay. Well, she is a mare that um, um, I bought as a coming Um, six-year-old. I owned her originally with my business partner in Holland and then um a year or so down the road, we sort of traded out interest of another horse I had there, so I now own full interest in her and have for the last um oh several years i think and she's been a horse that when I got her, our sort of our business agreement was that you know i I didn't have to sell her quick as a sale horse; I could keep her and train her along. And, you know, once you do that, you start really liking your training and they start doing well for you, then, you know, you really don't want to sell them, especially when you feel, you know, for me, for a professional, it's so hard to find a Grand Prix horse or, you know, a Grand Prix prospect that when you feel like that piece is coming on and it's in there, then you don't want to part with it. So fortunately for me, he and I swapped halves of two horses and I you know, have the full ownership of her and therefore, you know, I don't really have to answer to anybody but me and I don't have Mm -hmm. to sell her. So, you know, that's nice because, you know, at this point in time, I've I've had people ask me if I would sell her and, um, you know, and and I don't want to do that. This is, you know, sort of my, my chance and that's what I want to continue doing with. So she and I have had a relationship. She's 10 years old this year, so we've had a relationship for four years. And when she came, she was basically, I don't know, maybe like second or She didn't have a flying change then. And so she's progressed, you know, quite well through the years. And she's also been a little bit interesting showing-wise because she is in there and she is hot and electric. So that's been a learning curve with her. So that's, that's a little bit about her, and I'm happy to have her. <laughs> yes, Excellent. and you,
2: you, yeah, and you guys are a great team. I've seen you in person, and, and a wonderful, wonderful horse. So, Kathy, oh, uh, we
4: had
2: a we had a question for you, and, and as a trainer tip, um, you know, a lot of us are going to regional finals ne- this week, and then hopefully we'll all make it to the national finals, and it will be very packed here in Lexington in November. Oh, why? My, <laughs> my question for you, though, is how you know it's very tricky because you had to have this mare sort of peak uh, at the young horse uh, developing horse finals in August. And we go uh-huh. back to lamplight this week for the regional finals. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then we got a peak again in November, hopefully, fingers crossed that we all get to the national finals. So can you talk to us, um, how how do you do that? and And some things that you've done well and things maybe, as we all know, sometimes we've not done things well. So can you talk right. a little bit about that as your trainer tip?
4: Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, I, 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 every every horse is different, and I, I think mares in themselves are a little bit unique, especially when they're such, you know, goers and triers. They can sometimes make life um, a little bit harder on their body than they need to. Geldings sometimes are the same way. I I have a gelding that's also showing the FEI, and he's really not so much like that. Um, you know, he, he's kind of super straightforward does his job. You know, he's just a whole different, um, personality than, than, than say like this mayor is. And my, my own personal mistake that I made this winter, um, I feel that was a big learning curve for me with them there is by the end of the Florida season, you know, I sort of had in my mind that I would keep training for the Grand Prix, but I'd have a nice season showing the CDIs and the small tour, St. George, I won. And really by the end of the season, I just had her like over the top. She, you know, was just not good in the ring. She was way too tense, way too hot you know, and, and I think a combination of that was also thinking, you know, okay, I I, I want to um I want to I, I want to keep training on the Grand Prix, I want to keep working everything that I need to have that. You know, and then I would like back down a little bit and show the Saint George and I want that did not work. And you know, going to the big shows like that it I put her in too much of a pressure cooker. So that was, for me, a a real learning curve. And and I think probably the thing I have to tell myself with with this particular horse, less is more, less is more. And so this summer... I, I just sort of told myself as a few shows lined up, I came home and, you know, she got a break and, you know, you're back out in your pastures and you're in your own bed, so to speak, and did lots of walking in the hills and that sort of thing. And then as I brought her back, I brought her back in mind that, you know, okay, the small tour over. I'm not doing any more of that. And let's just keep training toward the Grand Prix in a quiet way and, show and see what I've got so I felt like well you know it really feels pretty good at this point I'll go try a qualifier and if I get a 65 or above then I'll go do the second one because as you know you have to have two qualifiers and I wasn't ready early in the year like in Florida so I went to the first one and I got a 65 and I thought well great and so I had to immediately find another qualifier and Um, I think that one was maybe like several weeks later. And these qualifiers were sort of a distance away. Maybe one of them was in, um, I think, Lexington, Virginia. Yeah, So that's quite a distance. And then the second one I could do was in Chicago, so I had to travel for that one. And in between, I gave her lots of breaks. And, And then I also find with her in my daily work, if I do some work I walk. I do some work, I walk. I probably do more walking than with her than I do any other horses because it just relaxes her. And she's easy to get more fired up the longer she goes. So so the, the learning is the peaking one is, you know, they have to train comfortably, they have to train calmly and they don't have to train everything every day. They can you go know, out they can have the days off. They can walk in the hill three days a week. So for me, that was a, a learning curve and a way to balance her and her showing and sort of a little bit her show nerves um, so that she's successful showing and, and relaxed in the ring. And, and this year, she's been quite relaxed in the ring, and um, that's been a really great feeling so i feel like that piece i'm on the right track with her you know you you never know i mean like you say we're going to show this weekend and we'll see how we do on a daily basis she's really you know training well and feeling good in her body
1: well i think the real message i don't know (laughs) yeah i think that's
4: a good one i mean i've made a lot of mistakes i've got I'm a little bit of a type A personality, so, you know, for me, I can train. I mean, I can ride all day long. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't the the best way with her. That wasn't going to
1: work, yeah.
4: No, it doesn't work. And, And I know, you know, knowing I had this other show, when I came back from the Young Horse Grand Prix, you know, we were four days there because you sh- you showed a day, and then you had a day off, which you trained that day, and then you showed a day, and we were there the day before. So we really had four sort of intense days, and when I came home, she got an entire week off of just, you know, turn out in the paddock, I backed her grain down, I maybe, like, tap walked her toward the end of the week a couple of days, and then... You know, went back to work on the following like Monday or something, and like just eased her back into it. And now she's working full speed and ready to go to the horse show.
1: Yeah, well, and I was going to say, the, yeah, the message yeah. is is a little about a little bit about know your horse because there's no blueprint no. for every horse, and you've got to kind of yeah. figure out your own plan and and follow a path, stick to it for a while until it doesn't really work, right?
4: Yeah, I uh, I think that's exactly right. And I think also you have to trust your training. And, you know, you can't be afraid to back off and say, Oh, my God, if I back off, is she still going to do 15 one-tempies when I get back on a week later? Yes, she is. She (laughs) is. It was fine. You know? So that piece of it, you have to make yourself a little bit let go and then try it. And I don't know. it's, it's, It's worked for her. So... No, I think that's
2: so true. And I I think, you know, the week of the horse show, you know, in theory, in theory, you shouldn't enter the horse show if you're not ready to go to the horse show when you enter. And that's my opinion. If you can't, if you can't do it you know, don't go, don't spend your money. Wait. Oh, um, right. You know, obviously problems come up all the time, but a week before in this case, a a regional or a big final, uh, it's really not the time, you know, you kind of got what you got at this point.
1: Yeah, You're Um, not going to make any big changes. (laughs) Otherwise you (laughs) You might mess everything up. Right.
4: Right. Yeah. And, you know, you just keep trying. You know, like for me, I keep trying to improve the the, the quality of like the Piaf and passage because that is one of the most important pieces in the in the Grand Prix. And, and as a young Grand Prix horse, you're always striving to improve that. You know, but in the same light, you kind of can't fry them as you're trying to improve that. You have to you, know, you have to be happy with. With little steps and and for me i'm finding um, I'm being much more gracious and patient about those little steps than I have been in the past
2: and and I think some of this is is confidence. Is confidence, yeah. and you said it, confidence in your own training. You know that the horse knows their yeah. job, so have confidence and say we're okay to step back here, or we're okay to let her. go, You know, have a little bit of a break because you can't ride, or like you said, you had four intense days at the horse show. She had to yeah. come back home and have a little bit of a break, or you know, that's how horses get broken. Really, you I know, mean, they need they, mentally or physically. So they, they, you know, I think that's
4: exactly. Common. And, you know, that show was really a very tiring show. I mean, I felt like she was very tired for the first couple of days when we came back. And then, you know, by a week later, she's like back on her toes. So it's, you know, you just you kind of live and learn. And um, you have to let them tell you and then you have to be smart enough to listen.
2: I think that's fabulous advice. Um, So, Kathy, how do people find you on the Internet?
4: Um, I have a website. It's called woodspringfarm.com. It's, um, yeah, and I also have an email address of woodspringfarm at gmail.com. And on my website is, you know, our contact info and, you know, kind of pictures of the farm and what we do. And we um, have a nice sponsor page. I'm fortunate enough to have several good sponsors So that's all there and available on the website.
2: Great. Perfect. Well, thanks, Kathy, so much. And we look forward to talking to you on your journey to the national finals. So fingers crossed for you guys. All
4: right. Fingers crossed for all of
1: us. Well, what a great discussion with Kathy about, uh, you know, about getting a horse ready for each individual different show and how to make them peak at the right time. And, uh, you know, I love to have these kind of discussions because you you learn a little something every time you talk to somebody different about this. So it's nice to have all different kind of trainer tips and all different trainers come on the show. I think it's really fun.
2: Absolutely, yeah, agreed.
1: Well, this week our Facebook page did get a little bit of love. Um hey! A listener, her name is Elizabeth, um, wrote on the page and she says, "Hi guys, love your show," and she just discovered it. So a new listener. We love getting new listeners Woo-hoo! and, and uh, bringing people onto the show and and sometimes we talk to them and uh, she said would love some tips about fitting nose bands and bits of different types and she's busy catching up on old episodes so um yeah we have talked about bits before and a little bit of tack and you know we try and have some some tack seg- segments so um you know maybe we'll have another another bit or or nose band fitting expert come on the show and talk to us about that that would be great and uh you know to all of our regular listeners i mean i think it's we've had lots of tips so go back through the episodes and uh you can check it out on the internet uh you know they're all still there and you can listen to them and uh you know get up to date on things that we've already talked about and then send us uh send us uh suggestions for new episodes we'd love to uh hear what you guys want to what you guys want to talk about right
2: Yeah, we love listener love, but I really like this noseband question. I think that, um, I don't think we've talked, we haven't talked directly about nosebands and they are something that are really interesting and and can be, um, you can play around with them a little bit. And always I can learn more about tack. So uh, I think we all can. So we will get on that. We will work on a noseband expert for sure. So um, fill up another great show and you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search for The Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com.
1: You can find me at philipparksequestrian.com. My email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on another great show and don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com.
2: Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we'll talk to you next week.